Welcome to Broadband Action. This is the podcast presented by the Community Broadband Action Network. I'm Curtis Dean. Thanks for tagging along with us today. You know, one of the biggest issues in America right now is we prepare to invest many, many billions of dollars in uh, public monies to uh, improve broadband access across the country. Money that, by the way, is already coming behind other monies that have been spent over the past decade or so. One of the biggest challenges is how we make sure those dollars are going to where they're going to be best and most effective. And one of the biggest pieces of information needed to make that accurate, to make that targeted, is better broadband maps. So we're going to be talking about broadband mapping today, the good, the bad, and unfortunately, the ugly. Um, my guest today is Sasha Meinrath. He is the director of the X Lab and Palmer Chair in Telecommunications at Penn State University. Uh, really appreciate you coming on with us, Sasha. My pleasure, Curtis. So maybe as we get started here, just tell everybody about what is X Lab? What, what, what is this entity that you're part of? So X Lab is, in essence, a organization focused on big technology policy conundrums. So we focus a lot on everything from intervening on privacy and surveillance and the policies around that to telecommunications, broadband in particular, since that's a domain that I come out of, broadband mapping, which is now on everyone's radar for the first time in my professional life, uh, as well as a host of other projects around implementation and deployment. In essence, we are the kind of a vanguard that's working on big policy kerfuffles of the next three to five years. Great. A lot of data, it sounds like you're collecting. <laughs> we are very empirically data-driven, which is to say at odds often with the made-up realities of Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to the uh, benefit of our, our listeners today, we won't get too deep into the data analysis, but we do want to talk about some of the big picture themes around the information that, that XLAB has been gathering. And in the relationship to that data, that you, data that you're gathering, and uh, the broadband mapping. Now, Sasha, I've been hearing from uh, what I call broadband pundits for weeks and months about um, about the challenges that are going to be presented in trying to come up with accurate broadband maps, especially when you look at the parameters by which those broadband maps are being created. So let's talk about what the FCC's approach has been in the past and today in creating broadband maps to figure out where all this money is going to go. Mm -hmm. So Broadly speaking, at a very high level, the, the methodology used by the Federal Communications Commission to collect data on where broadband is and is not is about asking an internet service provider, where do you provide service? And this won't shock a lot of people, these providers have provided a very rosy picture of both their service offerings, what speeds they offer, and their coverage areas. And this has led to, in essence, not only a hyperbolic overstatement of the state of connectivity across the US, but actually an ever increasing hyperbolic overstatement of broadband speeds and availability uh, over the last half decade, which is to say, make this explicit, 
our official maps have become more and more inaccurate mm -hmm. over time vis-a-vis -vis what people are actually ascribed to, subscribing to, have available, are experiencing in their everyday lives. This has led to, in essence, a crisis point at the Federal Communications Commission, where when those of us that were involved at the very beginning in 2009 and 2010 in developing the methodology and cautioning that this was a bad methodology, whereas 12 years ago we were told, you know, don't be such a stick in the mud, this is going to be <laughs> fine. Today, I think there's fairly universal condemnation of the federal communications mapping methodology stating that in essence, there's a consensus that the, these maps are not useful to the point that they are now throwing out the old maps and completely redoing their process. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they're doubling down on the same methodology, self-report by internet service providers of what is available, the speeds that are available, the locations where those different service offerings are available. And I fear that whereas we might have a bit more detail, that doesn't necessarily translate to more precision in terms of what's actually on the ground right. available to individual households. And so I suspect that a lot of your listeners are going to find themselves looking at a map that says services available to their home that is not necessarily in actuality yeah. available. It's interesting because the, the previous generations of broadband maps, uh, many of which have been used at state for state broadband grant programs across the nation, were focused on this whole census block area. And of course, one of the real challenges there was if a single premise in a census block was served, then the whole census block was considered served. Mm -hmm. So of course, the new round of mapping is we're going to solve that by we're going to go down to the address level and we're going to tell show what's being served and what's not and more sharply define that picture. But they're still just using the provider reported speeds and service levels for that. So although the picture is sharper, it's not necessarily more accurate, is it? No. And in fact, we're finding, again, this is anecdotal because yeah. we don't actually have public access to the data set itself. But anecdotally, people have done a number of fairly large scale analyses showing that, especially for rural areas, we have inaccuracies in the 20, 30, up to 70% range, mm. which is to say, in some locations, it's possible that a majority of the data is simply wrong. And whereas I wouldn't say the whole data set is terrible, what I will say is if that is what the spot check is already surfacing, yeah, I, I and many others in this field have profound concerns about a methodology that's closed, that hasn't been peer reviewed, data sets that are proprietary and are not publicly available. And we're supposed to then take it on faith that no, 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 this thing's all gonna be mm -hmm. fine in the end. I fear that it won't be. And I fear that, you know, the the naysayers of today, however correct we are, will be discounted to the level that we will be spending years undoing the damage from another failed broadband mapping effort. 
failed effort that is going to cost a lot of money to create a flawed project product. Correct. So there's yeah. $42 billion that will be divvied up amongst the states predicated upon the number of unserved homes in each state. And if the number of unserved homes in each state is inaccurate, the divvying up of that information is going to be wrong, but also making informed decisions about where to allocate specific funds. Where's the digital divide greatest mm -hmm. cannot be accurately made. Those decisions can't be accurately made if your map is itself inaccurate. Absolutely. Um, the providers are really in many cases, incentivized to protect their turf by providing exaggerated service abilities, aren't they? Yeah, and so now we're starting to get into sort of the, the real problems of misincentivization that is at play here, which is to say, look, if you are a provider in an area that has large sections that are unserved, that heightens the you know, risk, if you will, mm -hmm. that money will be allocated to a potential competitor to serve those unserved homes. So you are directly incentivized to color in those unserved areas to say, look, there's nothing to see here. And creating sort of this broadband Potemkin village of connectivity <laughs> that, yeah, is a disservice to the, to, to the local residents. And that the FCC has a very awkward process for even identifying because we are forbidden from providing actual broadband data. Mm -hmm. What are people actually receiving in an area as a challenge to the self-reported inaccuracies of internet service providers? That to me is sort of an absurdity. And that is literally the process that we have right now, real Broadband speed tests are currently disallowed from the Federal Communications Commission's challenge process of inaccurate self-reported ISP data. Is that because the people making the maps trust consumer speed tests less than providers? Uh, you would have to ask them. I don't want to ascribe <laughs> anything nefarious to what I think is just a real misnomer, which is that yeah. there's not value because you do have a lot of covariates in the mix. Like, is it the line itself? Is it home internet Wi-Fi equipment that's causing a slowdown? We don't know. But that doesn't make it less useful as a data collection effort. And it certainly, certainly has nothing to do with you know, identifying large scale underserviced areas. Mm -hmm. like unless somebody's going to be like, well, the physics in this, this particular community are such that Wi-Fi is worse here than anywhere else. I would say like, it's obvious when you start collecting data where underserviced areas are and saying like, well, we're just going to dismiss that data because somebody might have a poor Wi-Fi connection to the internet. Mm -hmm. It's throwing out the, the baby with the bathroom. Are, have you, in your work at X-Labs, have you, have you gathered any information or data where consumer speed tests are actually pretty darn close to what the advertised speeds are? Or is that just such an outlier we never see that? 
Yes. Yeah, so to, to take a quick stroll down memory lane, back in 2009, <laughs> 2010, when I was working and often was the only public interest representative in the room at the FCC when they were designing the original broadband maps, it was me and you know 30 or 40 teleco lobbyists gathered together. Uh, we proposed that the FCC explicitly collect the, these data as a verification process. Right. And what the FCC told us at the time was that cannot be done. It's impossible to do. And so back in 2009, we established what was then a prototype, an experiment called Measurement Lab or MLab. So XLab was involved in the creation of MLab. MLab went from this experiment showing the FCC, this is how you could do crowdsourced data collection to today, it's the largest open repository of broadband measurement data on the planet. There's mm. nothing larger. And we collect a few million tests every day. Wow. We have a data set that's 12 years longitudinal, and every single piece of data is freely and publicly available. And we've been trying to get the FCC to use these data ever since. Now, NTIA uses them, USDA uses them, but the Federal Communications Commission the place where we started simply refuses to use them. In fact, they started and spent a half a decade using these data as a check that was showing major discrepancies and then ceased using them when those discrepancies kept growing year after year. Long story short, our data was always this weird outlier showing that there were massive digital divides across the United States. And we were always told by telco lobbyists like, oh, you guys are crazy scientists, network engineers, blah, blah, blah. MLab being run by the folks that helped create the internet in the first place. Mm -hmm. And over time, it became very clear that our data was in fact quite accurate in documenting the user experience. And then just a couple of years ago when Microsoft started coming out with their data stores, well, what did those triangulate with? Those triangulated with our data, yeah. which is to say when Microsoft said 162 million Americans don't have broadband access in their homes, as opposed to the Federal Communications Commission's ascertainment that it was 20 million, that 162 million actually aligned very closely with what we had been documenting for years. Yeah. And again, our methodologies continue to show major discrepancies between official measures and actual broadband speeds. But to come back to your initial question, mm -hmm. what's interesting is that these are not equal, which is to say the discrepancy between actual broadband speeds and the FCC's broadband speed measurements are greater in places like rural communities than they are in urban environments. And we did a whole series of reports documenting that in fact, the official maps are more accurate in richer, more urban areas than there are in poor, more rural areas. And that shouldn't be the case. I mean, unless you want right. to argue, well, home Wi-Fi equipment operates on a different physics in rural communities <laughs> than urban ones. It's clearly not the equipment. Yeah. It is the self-reports by ISPs being less overstated in urban environments than they are in rural, which then hides the extent 
of the digital divide on a national scale. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment with more of Broadband Action. You know, when we're talking about speed tests here, you know, speed is part of a measurement of performance. You know, other measurements of performance include, you know, things like ping times and uh, latency, which Mm -hmm. might mean the same thing. I'm not an expert on that. Reliability is a huge issue in many areas. What I think is curious about this, Sasha, is FCC has basically refused to accept that performance testing data in creating its maps, yet programs like operated through the USDA actually make providers provide proof of performance. Um, not for every provider, not for every end user, but for a sample. If they get the funding, they have to show their work and show that their network is up a certain amount of time and is available and has reasonable speed levels. That's right. And in fact, all the official measures that the FCC was using for years for measuring Broadband America, their internal endeavor, provided these optimal latencies that were completely out of line with actual utilization of those broadband connections. Mm -hmm. And so only very recently has the FCC started to even investigate what's called latency under load, which is to Mm -hmm. say real world latency. And the reason why this matters, of course, is whether you're doing a podcast or a video conference call, latency matters greatly. Absolutely. As latency goes up, you start sounding first like a robot, and then everything goes to hell from there. Mm -hmm. So it is a very important measure of the quality of your network connection. The FCC has simply ignored it for most of its time and is now beginning to understand to the point that they've now kind of clawed back almost $900 million from just SpaceX, for example, over this issue of the latency on these satellite connections is so variable that it is not a functional equivalent for broadband service provision. And NTIA, which is holding on to these tens of billions of dollars that would be allocated, has said anything that we're provisioning needs to have a latency under, I believe it's 100 milliseconds. And so finally, the, the official measures are beginning to catch up to where MLAB has been for over a dozen years, where the the broadband experts have been saying is important for a dozen years. We're finally only beginning to address that. And the new national broadband map that is yet to actually be rolled out does not take this into account at all. Right, right. The other measure that's always frustrated me that is not really accounted for is upload speed. And I understand that 10 years ago or so, it was probably a less vital measurement. But in today's world, with so many people doing like we're doing here and we're pushing content, we're not just pulling everything. My goodness, upload speeds have become vitally important. And many internet providers are still providing a a fraction of the upload speeds as their download speeds. We're not accounting for that in the mapping at all either. Correct. Yeah, we have these massive asymmetries, but we also have, in essence, these discrepancies between the detrimental impact of a network under load. Yes. Which is to say, imagine, if you will, a world where during a pandemic, a lot of people start tele-everything and needing it 
for their professional lives, for telehealth, for educational purposes. Well, if you've got a very narrow constraint on the upload, your uplink, and you've got a lot of people using that all of a sudden because they're doing two-way video conferencing, you're going to see major problems. And I felt a bit like the canary in the coal mine because we, we saw this at the national level in our data sets. We rang the, the you know, we, 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 we pulled the fire alarm saying, hey, this is a major problem that we need to look into. And we end up in this weird duality where the ISPs were claiming there's nothing to see here. Everything is fine. Our actual data was showing major slowdowns across the country. Oh, absolutely. And I, 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 I like wrote an op-ed in The Hill, did a bunch of work for The Guardian, like documenting this with millions upon millions of broadband speed tests, only to have people be like, well, you say this, but they say no, and we're not even going to look at the data. And to me, this is... This is not informed decision-making. This is anathema to scientific, empirically, reality-based decision-making, and unfortunately continues to this day. A question for you. Uh, how does M-Labs gather the data that you're, uh, or X-Labs, I mean, gather the data that you're using to be able to make some of these, um, you know, part of our discussion here? Yeah, so the M-Lab data and I'm a co-founder of that initiative, is open and freely available to anyone that, that wants to access it. But folks can experience this for themselves. Uh, if, if you go to like, you know, your browser of choice, go to Google and type in broadband speed test, mm -hmm. there's literally a box that will appear above the search results. Right. That's us. Okay. Which is to say we've harnessed the power of a monopoly for good here okay. in terms of creating an open repository of knowledge for anyone to use for any purpose, including informed decision-making. But we've kind of run into this buzzsaw of our policymakers refusing to collect real-world data to inform their decision-making. And that's mm -hmm. really what MLab is. I'm not saying the data set is perfect or it's the end-all be-all or it's even the singular thing you should use to make your decision. I just think it's very awkward when you have such a rich longitudinal resource to completely ignore it when you're trying to make informed decisions about the state of the digital divide, where to allocate funds, and et cetera, especially because it's a free resource that you can use, which is why right. Multiple government agencies are today using this, but the FCC simply refuses to. Hmm. And if you want to know why, you'd have to ask the chairwoman herself to say, hey, why, why do you guys so vociferously refuse to use data collected by the scientific and research community to inform your decision making? You get an answer to that question? I've asked it for 12 years now, and I've always gotten a weird non-answer um, and that that spans multiple chairs across multiple administrations oh, yeah. this is not a democratic or republican issue and it's super awkward because broadband connectivity is one of these rare subjects that republicans and democrats vociferously agree yeah right yeah. Like, across the board everyone's like this is super important and what we have seen is the fcc across multiple multiple administrations has simply refused to use the data collected by the scientific and research community. And, you know, I, I have my own 
notions of why that have everything to do with regulatory capture and the power yes. of ISPs to muddy waters. But you'd have to ask the commissioners themselves, why aren't you using this free resource? Why are you spending millions of dollars? And, and keep in mind this latest $45 million package for broadband mapping. We've already, we're already in the hole for another $350 million previously. So we, we're closing right. in on at least $400 million of taxpayer money spent on bad broadband maps. Whereas the scientific and research community is like, hey, we can do a more accurate, more precise mm -hmm. map for one-tenth the cost, maybe quite a bit less. So it's kind of this oddity of being like, we want worse data that's more expensive. <laughs> and, you know, to me, it's like, this should be exhibit A for waste, fraud, and abuse. I don't know why it is not being investigated as such. That, yeah, that's an interesting topic because um, I, I almost get the feeling that, you know, uh, the reason that they would not accept this uh, data is that they're afraid what it may point to. It may point the finger back at the bureaucracy that has implemented these programs in the past and, and point out the fallacies that they've operated under. Well, imagine if you are the FCC chairman today and you're like, hey, we're going to do more accurate and more precise data mapping. And what it's going to look like from the outside is things got worse on your watch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, politically, yeah. it's like I can see this the, the yes. psychotically dysfunctional process where people are like, but if we accurately measure the state of the broadband divide, then it's going to look like things got much worse under right. my administration. Uh, but that, that is a hole that we dug ourselves. Right, it is. But you have data dating back 12 years or so Correct. that could say, let's go back 12, let's reset it from there. We can show, have we gone from here to here or is it flat? I mean, they could reset that and still show progress. Yeah, it, what, well, what's really weird is back in 2009, 2010, when we were working with the FCC and they were telling us this can't be done, and then we started doing it, they originally said, well, once you actually get a good data set, we'll use it. <laughs> so then we went back to the FCC when we had, it was around 50 terabytes of data at the time. We said, hey, we've got 50 terabytes of data. We want to give it to you for free. And they're like, well, that's too much data. I'm like, well, hold on a sec. Like, what's the right <laughs> amount of data? We'll just give you the right amount of data. And, you know, it's been 12 years now. And there's always been an excuse, excuse as to why yeah. they can't use an open repository of data with an open methodology that's collected via open source tools. We're always told, like, oh, it's unbelievably biased. But we're like, well, everything's open. If you could show us where the bias is, we'd happily fix the problem. But, of course, over the 12 years, the goal has never been anything other than to prevent the utilization of research by the scientific and research community to, in essence, demonstrate, document what the digital divide actually looks like, because it's going to show all sorts of differentiated service levels, discriminatory business practices, mm -hmm. differentials, both within and between providers, likely by race. I mean, it, it's going to be a mess when yeah. we actually dive into the realities. Some people just don't want to see themselves in the mirror with the makeup off. Let's face it. It's just not always 
pretty picture. Well, and imagine coming back to municipal and other kind of uh, cooperative, et cetera, mm -hmm. systems. If you start looking at digital divides and then all of a sudden you find that like consistently municipal networks have much less of a digital divide as the outcome are less racially discrepant, mm -hmm. often due to universal service, you know, obligations. Uh, that points a finger at one model being more racially uh, equitable in its outcomes and would then be something we would have to address. Right. Which, of course, <laughs> the for-profit operators do not want that. They don't want to discuss that topic. Correct. Um, because it's something they can't do. They can't be a public entity. Um, public entities have certain... Uh, rights and obligations, and, uh, and and not having to operate under a profit motive is is one of those obligations. So, well, um, and we've sort of admitted it by kludging together programs like you know EBB and mm -hmm. the you know the Affordable Connectivity Program. So we're acknowledging, oh wow, there are these differentials. We know they exist. They're just not act. Even though we have these programs, these multi billion dollar programs to address this reality. We're simply not acknowledging it in our official maps. And that's, right. again, very, just very awkward, very odd. So if, let's say I'm a community leader, Sasha, I'm, I know my community's got some broadband deficits and I'd like to get a hold of your data. What would I do if I wanted to go and say, what, what does your data show about Waterloo, Iowa, or, you know, Frankfurt, Kentucky, or any other community? Yep. So if you simply point your browser to measurementlab.net. You'll see up there, there's a tab on data. Mm -hmm. Sign up for an account, you just download the data. And oh. it's it's open license, so anyone can use it for any purpose. Now, there is a bit of a learning curve. It does require somebody with either GIS or SQL skills, but any municipality that's doing any mapping of any sort for any reason has those skills somewhere in-house. Mm -hmm. But the data is all freely publicly available. It, it, it clearly differentiates what we're doing from all the other mapping efforts because it's like you can use these data tomorrow, today, for zero dollars and zero cents. And uh, I would encourage everyone to do that, not to use it as its sole source of any information. That would be a mistake. But to use it as a rich data store that has information on pretty much everywhere in the country and has that information longitudinally. I Communities that um, we've participated in discussions with here at CBAN that have done um, research on this at the local level, you know, speed tests are just, like you said, don't rely on it 100%. Speed tests, performance tests are part of it. But often those communities learn a lot more just by talking to people and hearing about their experiences, their oh. Their, their horror stories, so to speak. There's yeah. just a lot of data to be gathered by a conversation for, with someone. And, and that helps provide, you know, the data provides kind of maybe a black and white sketch and the, the anecdotal data becomes the color in that sketch. That's right. Yeah. And again, you know, there is sort of this quiet acknowledgement of just how messed up the maps are, because even though the money is going to be divvied up to the states, NTA money is going to be divvied up to the states based on these likely very inaccurate maps, the NTA process itself allows you to use other data stores, other data sources to, to justify that you yourself have 
an unserved area that needs funding to, you know, fix the digital divide. Right. Which is to say the grant program is acknowledging that the official maps are <laughs> not very accurate and that people might want to avail themselves yeah. of other data stores. And they absolutely should. And what's interesting about that is every state's going to address that a little bit differently. Yeah. So that's going to be harder to do in some states, yes. which only in continues to increase the digital divide between states that have robust, scientifically driven broadband offices versus those that are just going through the motions. That's right. I mean, every state should be spinning up its own in-depth broadband mapping initiative. My predilection would be these states should be building open, interoperable tools that anyone can then look at, verify, improve upon, push back out into the public domain. In essence, we can, and unfortunately probably will, spend tens of millions of dollars on proprietary systems that we're not entirely sure what we're getting <laughs> as output. We won't be sure exactly what we're measuring here. Uh, we could, for pennies on the dollar, be providing a far more accurate and precise measurement infrastructure useful for everyone. I don't know why we don't do that. Yeah. But we don't do that. We don't do that. Yeah. And you mentioned proprietary systems. Uh, we could have 50 plus proprietary systems being used with each state doing its own process and Correct. at various levels of accuracy. So it's, it's, a, it's a complicated topic. We've talked about that a lot here with uh, recently had a discussion with Christopher Mitchell at I Institute mm -hmm. for Local Self-Reliance about the head shaking that's going on right now. It is what it is, but we're all in the world world trying to overcome the deficits of these mapping efforts. That's right. And ILSR spun up a number of resources that are yes. incredibly useful. One that's still missing across the board, though, is like what we need on a national scale is the baseline measure before we do these tens of billions of dollars in intervention. Because what I want to get away from is the anecdotal, you know, everyone wins. Everything was successful. I, I mm -hmm. want to empirically test. When we invested X amount in this location, what was the outcome? I want to look at the, the delta, the change. Absolutely. On the ground, subscriptions to broadband. What are the speeds before we make this public investment? What are the speeds afterwards? And from there, then derive, well, where should we put, where should we put the next investment of public funding? And make no right. mistake, there will have to be another major public investment in broadband infrastructure in this country because yeah. we have so profoundly screwed up our deployments thus far. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're not even collecting that baseline data so that we won't then know what actually worked when we invested 40 odd billion dollars mm -hmm. in this space. That's a trap. I mean, that's a travesty. It is. And, and, and uh, everyone will pat themselves on the back about how great of a program it was and how much it changed lives and have one or two great stories to tell on the campaign trail, but not necessarily be able to show us the charts that prove that it was everything we wanted it to That's be. Right. So, and I want well, to be able to look at like by provider. Did some providers get more bang for the buck? Mm -hmm. I suspect yes. We've seen that previously. Do certain areas do better? Do certain states do better yes i think it's you know it, it, it's just basic uh it's anybody who does any research understands the value of being able to have 
compare one outcome to another and what were the reasons for the two different outcomes. And right. if, but if you don't have that foundation of common information, it's hard to do that. So, well, hey, Sasha, we could probably talk all day, but Indeed. I know you have a real <laughs> job and so do I. So we're going to we're going to move. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We'll probably have you back on sometime as these, you know, the maps are probably six months out at least again before we really see anything. But maybe they'll give you a buzz and we'll talk about this again once we actually have something to look at. Sounds great. Hopefully I'll be absolutely, completely, utterly wrong in this assessment. <laughs> and uh, I'll be happily eating crow Yes, uh, if that is the case. But unfortunately, I suspect we'll be talking about what do we do now? Yeah. How do we deal with this flawed map in the best way? Yeah. Indeed. All right. Sasha Weinrath uh, has been our guest today. He's director of the X Lab, partner chair in telecommunications at Penn State University. Sasha, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Broadband Action Podcast. We encourage you to like or subscribe for future content here on the podcast. Spread the word. And thanks for joining us.